just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's a very special day. It is the 4th of July, July 4th, our country's birthday. Very important holiday, and hopefully all of you are getting the opportunity to spend time with friends, family, or whoever you like. Hopefully you're relaxing today. This is a big day. Now, for most of us, we understand what the 4th of July means. But there is a faction of folks in this country that call themselves patriots but have no fucking clue as to what being a patriot is all about. So if you're about overturning Roe v. Wade, suppressing votes for people of color, marginalizing LGBTQ, screaming for civil war, trying to overturn the democracy, overturn elections, if that's you, well, you can suck it. Because this isn't your day. You don't understand this day if that's who you fucking are. Now, the good news is this is the Rational Boomer podcast. The chance of people like that listening to this is slim. But if you happen to run uh, into people of that sort during your day, you don't have to call them out directly. But say... Mike at the Rational Boomer thinks you fucking suck. (laughs) And you can take it up with him. Anyhow, let's get to getting on this July 4th and see what this show brings. (laughs) And I mean that seriously. I don't always know what the show brings. I sit down. I have an outline of what I want to talk about. But where we end up, who the fuck would know? Not me. I've got one email to read, and it comes from a gentleman by the name of Epi. He's written before, and I think at some point down the line, he is going to be a guest on the show, but uh, we haven't settled that as yet. Anyway, he says, hello, Mike. As I listen to your podcast, I'd like to hear what your thoughts are about the incident that happened in Akron, Ohio, about a police shooting of an African-American being shot uh, about... 90 times and 60 bullets hitting him. Enjoy your holiday, Epi. (laughs) Really, Epi. You tell me about a guy who just got shot 60 times, and then you say, hope you have a great weekend. Uh, Anyway, I'm kidding with you, Epi. Just just relax. Um, Yeah, I've read this story, and I haven't talked much about it. I mean... Over the time we've done this podcast and the TikToks, we've talked about these horrific shootings, um, whether it be some crazed gunman in a school or a grocery store or whether it happens to be fucking police officers. And this is a perfect example. Now, the story goes, Jalen Walker suffered at least 60 gunshot wounds when Akron, Ohio, police officers fatally shot him during a pursuit last week. Now, Akron Police Chief Stephen Milet said Sunday, citing a medical examiner's report. Now, city officials also played police body camera footage of the shooting for the first time on Sunday, nearly a week after the fatal shooting. The video raises more questions about the shooting of the unarmed black man that is uh, being investigated by the Ohio Bureau of Investigations. Police said the shooting occurred after Walker 25 fled as officers tried to initiate a traffic stop for traffic and equipment violations on Monday, June 27th. you got to wonder, did he really have violations or was he just uh, committing the offense of driving while black? I don't know. Now, after a car chase, Walker got out of his car and a foot chase took place. Police said officers believe Walker was reaching toward his waist and they felt that Mr. Walker had turned and was motioning to move into a firing position. Well, of course you fucking did. Walker, however, was not armed. That's a big surprise. Uh, During the vehicle pursuit, police said a gunshot was fired from Walker's car. (laughs) Yeah, 
you got to cover your ass some some way, right? Here's the thing. If a gunshot was shot from his car, how come there was no fucking gun? In a narrated body camera video, police said that about 40 seconds after Walker drove away from police, a sound consistent with a gunshot can be heard on the body-worn cameras of the police officers. Police officers also said a flash of light could be seen on the driver's side window of the car at the time. That changes the whole nature of the traffic stop. Sure, it does, if that's true. Um It went from being a routine traffic stop to now a public safety issue, and then the pursuit continued. A handgun and a loaded magazine were found in Walker's car after the shooting. Now, I did not know that, along with a gold ring. So while he was running unarmed, he did have a gun in the car. Now, whether he actually shot or not, we don't know, but some of the evidence would suggest as much. Eight officers were directly involved in the shooting, Milet said, and they have all been placed on paid administrative leave, according to the department policy. The BCI, which is investigating the fatal shooting, has yet to confirm the number of times Walker was shot, and it's still unknown how many rounds were fired. However, based on the video, I anticipate the number to be high, he said. A lot of rounds were fired. So let's let's scope this out. We got a black guy which is a problem for white police officers anyway, he is going to be stopped for some traffic violation, or at least that's what they claim. So instead, he takes off. This is the first mistake <laughs> by, uh, by, by, by the driver. Uh, if you're gonna, here's what I know, and it's not about race or anything like that. If you are running from a police officer in your car, And I've seen it a million times when I was doing traffic reports and such. It never ends well. And I'm not saying it always ends in a shooting, but it never ends well. It's a crash or the cops get frustrated and they go a little overboard with their beatings and such. So that was a mistake by the driver. Now, the cops said that they heard a gunshot and saw a flash of light come from the car as they were driving. Now... Initially, I'd heard that there was no gun in the car, but now this story tells us there was a gun in the car. So that's a whole different thing. If you are a suspect of any type, for any reason, traffic, and you shoot at cops, the the, the mindset should be you're not going to end well with this situation. You don't shoot at cops. That just makes no fucking shit sense that's that's just like writing a ticket for yourself to die you don't do that now we don't know that he did for sure but there was a gun in the car so that does make it suspicious but anyway what's weird is he gets out of the car and decides the run and he leaves the gun behind now if you were a violent person you wouldn't leave the gun behind and you felt like you need protection you wouldn't leave the gun behind but he did Okay, let's go to the cop's mindset. Guy gets out of the car. They feel like he shot at them while they were driving. He takes off. Now, as I understand it, he turned around to look at them, and apparently he had a ski mask on. So this whole situation is pretty serious. Um, And it's hard to say who's at fault here, to be perfectly honest. Throwing color aside, if you've got a guy driving a car in a chase, shooting at cops, and then he gets out on foot. I suppose it's reasonable to think by the police that he's still got the gun if they believe he's got a gun. Here's where my problem comes into play. <laughs> he's running down the street. He does not have the gun with him. He turns around to look. He's got a ski mask on. And then what happens? The police open fire. And not just one of them, all of them, all eight open fucking fire. And I've heard the the idea that there were 60 rounds or 60 gun wounds in this kid's body. Please fucking explain that to me. Why do all of you have to fire and empty your guns on this 25-year-old kid? That makes no sense. Uh, That's what means some poor decisions by the police officers. I can't say that the kid driving the car isn't completely without fault because he's got some fault here. Especially if he did shoot at him. 
far as I'm concerned, if anybody shoots at a cop, game over. I don't care what color you are, <clears throat> black, white, Hispanic, Asian, it doesn't matter. That's a stupid fucking thing to do. The second stupid thing to do is try to run from the cops in a car. That suggests you're guilty of something more serious than a traffic stop. So, Epi, here's the thing. I don't know enough about this to really make a decision. I do find it interesting that every time something like this happens or some unarmed kid gets shot, it happens to be a person of color. That in itself is rather troubling. This whole story, we need to hear more about this story. The whole thing seems like a fucking shit show. The kid running, the kid shooting, presumably, and then the kid getting out of the car without the gun and runs. So we got eight cops that shoot him 60 times or thereabouts, and he goes down, and of course he dies. Why was it necessary for everybody to empty their guns? That tells me, uh, I don't know, maybe the police are a little overzealous. Maybe they're going a little too far when it comes to doing their policing. It sounds like a lot of errors by a lot of people, including the driver. Um, This situation didn't have to happen. And both sides could have done something to uh, um, avoid it. Now, the cops are the ones in control here. They should have been a little more, a little more calm of mind and handled it properly. Now, if this guy's got a gun and he's going to turn and shoot, okay, take cover uh, and kind of see what happens. There's no way this one kid's going to take out eight cops, so this is a done deal. Discretion is the better part of valor. If you can avoid killing somebody, I would have to think that would be the police department's first decision. Don't kill somebody unless you have to. So, Abby, this is a fucked up situation. I I don't even know how to read it. I don't know enough of the information as yet. I think both uh, the police were dramatically at fault, but I think the kid was at fault too, regardless of what color he is. You throw the race issue in it, and it's presuming these are all white cops, that might explain why they emptied all of their fucking guns. I don't know. It's one of those stories you don't want to hear, but they happen all too often. Uh, and all these cops are on administrative leave, and that's good. They need to investigate to see what happened to see if there was any uh, crimes committed here by the police department. Clearly, the kid committed some crimes. Um No crimes that would require execution on the street, of course, but uh, the circumstances would dictate what happens, and I guess we don't know all the circumstances. I'm going to be watching this closely. That's one of the reasons I didn't talk about it, because I didn't know that much about it. It's not something I can speak all that intelligently about. So if you hear what I say and you don't like it, that's cool. But I'm just reading it based on a couple of stories I read and what Epi sent me. I got to learn more about it to really give an intelligent, uh, intelligent response. All right, let's move along. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6, 21 insurrection. We're hearing now from Liz Cheney that Donald Trump could be at risk of multiple criminal referrals. Now, remember that. The January 6th committee cannot indict anybody, cannot prosecute anybody. All they can do at any point is to refer to the DOJ a criminal referral. Okay? They can say, we think this is a crime. DOJ, take a look at it, see what you think. Now, the important thing to remember is it's not, the DOJ isn't waiting on what the January 6th committee tells them to do. They can indict somebody and prosecute somebody without the uh, January 6th committee being involved. I think what the January 6th committee is trying to do here is, of course, expose all the evidence and all the information so the general public knows and, of course, the DOJ knows. Ultimately, they will share all their evidence with the DOJ once they get done, and I think we've got at least two more 
uh, hearings coming, and they, I guarantee you, they're going to be fucking doozies. And I almost guarantee you there'll be more than two. We'll go over into August with hearings. I'm just guessing at that, but there's just too much going on here and too much information. You know, I'll talk about this later, but Adam Kinzinger said that, look, we've got more people coming forward who want to talk. Either they heard something in the testimony in the first five hearings that jogged their memory, or maybe they're a little nervous now knowing that they're going to be exposed for something. So uh, we've got two more in July planned. Don't be surprised if we end up with some more, Um, and don't be surprised if at least the two you hear aren't even bigger blockbusters than what we've already heard. I'm presuming that to be the case. They're building, they're building on this case to uh, a culmination uh, so that there's no question in anybody's mind what was going on. One of the things I'm thinking we're looking forward to, at least in the next couple of uh, hearings, is that we're, we're going to find out what evidence there is against the sitting members of Congress who may have helped the terrorist attack the Capitol. And when that happens, that is going to be a shit show because these sitting members of Congress are going to be screaming like stuck fucking pigs. Well, this is interesting, and uh, we can talk about Clarence Thomas a little bit. Now, last summer, the state of New York created a COVID vaccine requirement for healthcare workers, prompting a lawsuit from a group of employees who raised religious objections. Now, lawyers for the state made the fairly obvious case that the healthcare workers already had to be vaccinated against measles and rubella, and there were no religious exemptions, so the lawsuit lacked merit. Now, the plaintiffs nevertheless appealed their case to the Supreme Court, which announced this afternoon that it wouldn't consider the matter. That wasn't surprising. What was surprising was the dissent from three of the far-right justices, Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, and Neil Gorsuch, who said the high court should have agreed to hear the case. The writing for the dissenters inciting the plaintiffs This is what Clarence Thomas wrote. This is what a Supreme Court justice wrote. Now, remember, it did not pass. Well, they didn't even take it up. Um, The three people that voted against it lost. But when you lose in Supreme Court, the the, um, other group can write um, uh, dissension notes or whatever. So Thomas lost this one. They didn't take it up, but this was a Clarence Thomas wrote in dissent. Petitioners are 16 healthcare workers who serve the New York communities throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. They object on religious grounds to all available COVID-19 vaccines because they were developing, they were developed using cell lines derived from aborted children. This is fucking Clarence Thomas saying this shit. This is a conspiracy theory. This is absolute bullshit. And that is the absolute best dissent Clarence Thomas can come up with? That's fucking crazy. That in itself should get him taken off the court. That's a lie. That's not true. That's a conspiracy theory. And that's a Supreme Court justice. Fucking A. That was needlessly inflammatory, and as an NBC News report explained, the underlying claim, of course, is misleading, exactly what I said. Um, Here's another quote. Pfizer and Moderna used fetal cell lines early in their COVID vaccine development to test the efficacy of the formulas, as other vaccines have in the past. The fetal tissue issued in these processes came from elective abortions that happened decades ago. But the cells have been replicated many times, so none of the original tissue is involved in making the, uh, the Moderna vaccines. So it is not true that COVID vaccines are manufactured using fetal cell lines, nor do they contain any aborted cells. You see what's going on here. 
Now, we know that, uh, that uh, there's a lot of uh, experimentation using uh, cadavers and, and, and maybe even cells from aborted babies from decades ago. It's important to the whole investigatory process and try to come up with these vaccines. But to suggest that these vaccines contained elements from aborted babies is fucking ridiculous. They took a concept, they perverted it, and then they put it out as if it's true. And the most disturbing part of it is a fucking Supreme Court justice apparently believes that. We're supposed to be dealing with very intelligent people, people that are above reproach. But Clarence Thomas, once a fucking again, proves he's a nutcase. Now, the NBC report added that the vaccine contains messenger RNA, genetic material that instructs our cells to make proteins, which then train the immune system to fight off the coronavirus. They also include fatty substances called lipids that help RNA cross our cell membranes, as well as salt, sugar, and a few substances that help stabilize the other ingredients. It just amazes me. You know, this is something we would hear out of Donald Trump or the trump or the QAnon idiots or whatever. But a Supreme Court justice, he couldn't have just mixed it up. I mean, his job is to know these cases inside and out and make a decision based on law, not based on a religious belief, not based on a a partisan belief, not based on anything but law. But apparently Clarence Thomas is having a little fucking problem with that. He's unable to <clears throat> determine what's real and what is phony. So it's easy, It's fair to say that um, this fuck is delusional. Absolutely delusional. So as I've said before, we need to do something with this Supreme Court. We talked about it, and and the only real option here is to expand it. We know that Biden at one point was against it. God knows why. Ed told us in a previous podcast that he heard that he wasn't was now in favor of it. I still haven't heard that. I've looked all over the place. I have not seen that. So if you see it, please email me a link or something. I've never seen Joe Biden say, okay, yeah, we can expand the court. I haven't seen that. I hope he said it because that's the only reasonable answer to this. Clearly, we have immense problems with our Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is kind of an important fucking thing in this country. We need to have a fucking Supreme Court. It needs to be honest. It needs to be nonpartisan. And it needs to be above reproach. And if it's not, then we don't have a fucking Supreme Court. And that's one entire arm of our governmental system. And if we have one arm of our governmental system that's not working properly, well, we are fucked. So for anybody to say we don't need to expand this, that's absolutely ridiculous. And and we can do it without really even being controversial about this. I think Ed brought it up, and I brought it up before. When we raise the number of, of, of uh, justices in the Supreme Court to nine, that was because we had nine circuit courts in the country. But all these years later, we have 13 circuit courts. So if we put nine justices in based on the number of circuits, it only makes sense that after all this time, it's time to expand it. We've got more people to represent, and we've got more circuits. So if we go from 9 to 13, that means adding four, which is a reasonable amount based on history. I know how everybody loves, let's do it because it's history. Well, history says we should add four more. And if we add four more, we can balance it out in the Supreme Court. You know, presumably at that point we would have, um, well, we have three liberal judges, and if they put four more on, presumably they'd be liberal because Joe Biden put them in. But then we'd be pretty close. It would be a 7-6 split between conservative and Democrat. 
and uh, the Democrats would have the edge, of course. But when you've got people like Clarence Thomas talking about conspiracy theories and the idiots like Kavanaugh and Barry and Alito, that balance should be a, a big factor. I mean, in order to make our, our uh, Supreme Court credible again, and that's what we should be wanting to do. We need to make it more fucking credible. All right, let's take a quick break, and uh, we will be right back. On every show, I tell you that if you have questions, comments, or complaints, just reach out to me at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Those emails come directly to me, and your input is crucial to this show. The show is called Rational Boomer Podcast, but that's not to suggest that I'm the Rational Boomer. I am not. I am simply a Rational Boomer. All of you are Rational Boomers. Anybody of a like mind is a Rational Boomer. Strength comes in numbers and not through an individual. You have perceptions and insights that may have never occurred to me. This isn't a show about me. This is a show about us and gaining a voice in this country. There's 70 million baby boomers in this country. Yeah, I know the younger folks would prefer to push us aside. Every generation has done that. But we are a formidable force if we can get together and speak in one voice. This is why I encourage you to let your friends and family know about the Rational Boomer podcast, not to satisfy my ego, but to give us more power, a stronger voice to help right this ship we call the United States of America. Lastly, I'm offering the opportunity for my listeners to be on the show. Now, it could be two minutes, it could be a half hour, it could be the whole fucking show. I'd much rather have you on the show than somebody pimping a podcast or a book. I want to hear what you think. I want to know what you know. The Rational Boomer Podcast is all about us. Well, of course, we've been talking about the Cassidy Hutchinson hearing. And uh, she gave us a lot of information, a lot of facts, first-hand witness. She saw it, she heard it, and you can't get any better testimony than that. And again, we've talked about the one situation that was hearsay, and that was regarding Donald Trump losing his shit in the limo, grabbing the wheel, and lunging at the Secret Service agent. Now, one Secret Service agent said that's not true. And that guy is a fucking Trump humper, and he's not credible. He's lied many times before. We're now hearing that there are more and more grumblings or rumblings coming out of the Secret Service that suggests that what she said, Cassidy Hutchinson, was in fact true. So that's getting out there right now. Now, I suspect they will end up doing a... Uh, doing at least part of a hearing where these people will testify under oath. Because right now we've got all the Republicans and people yelling and screaming, saying, it's all hearsay, it's all hearsay. Well, it's not all hearsay. It's not at all all hearsay. In fact, you know, former President Trump and his supporters were quick to try to discredit former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson damning January 6th committee testimony on Tuesday. Now, one of the common themes of the smear campaign was the charge that her statement, as I say, all hearsay. A hand-waving response deployed by, among others, the Twitter account for Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee and the conservative commenter, uh, commentator Eric Erickson. The not-so-subtle insinuation is that Hutchinson's testimony isn't credible, that no one should believe what she said because it's all hearsay. It's not true. That one part was hearsay, she acknowledged it was hearsay. The rest of it was first-hand evidence. The reality is both a lot more complicated and a lot less of a criticism than those leveling it want you to believe. At the risk of bringing nuance to a mud fight, here's an explanation of um, hearsay. The textbook definition of hearsay is an out-of-court statement offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted. In other words, someone says something or writes something down and one side in a legal dispute wants to use that statement in a trial to prove not that the statement was made, 
that's usually fine, but that it's substantive content and it is correct. Imagine, say, for example, you saw John Doe jaywalking and and, uh, you tell your friend, it's not hearsay if I testify about what I saw, but it is hearsay if my friend testifies as to what I told him I saw. The default rule is that such evidence is inadmissible because of its unreliability. Just because I said something to Mike isn't evidence. So it's pretty clear what's hearsay and what's not hearsay. And the bulk of what Cassidy Hutchinson said was not at all hearsay. But you see what the Republicans try to do. This is what they always do. They take little bits and pieces out of things that may or may not be true, and they try to explode it by saying, okay, well, the whole thing's not true, and that's bullshit, that's gaslighting, that's ridiculous. I made that comparison to the Mueller report. You know, we know in the Mueller report there were 10 um, circumstances of obstruction of justice by Donald Trump, which is a crime which he could be prosecuted, but he wasn't because he was the president of the United States. So the Republicans took that and said, oh, he's completely exonerated. And we say, no, he's not completely exonerated. Well, he didn't get indicted, so he's completely exonerated. Well, he didn't get indicted, not because he wasn't guilty. He got he didn't get indicted because he was fucking president. But you see how they play this game. It's real fucking ridiculous. So more evidence is emerging in the White House January 6th investigation that lends support to recent testimony that President Donald Trump wanted to join an angry mob that marched to the Capitol where they rioted, a committee member said on Sunday. So what that means is there's people coming out of the woodwork now, coming to the J6 committee saying, look, yeah, I'll back that up. And, and you know, let's be honest, we're talking about first uh, uh First-level evidence, we know that he has a horrible temper. We know that he has a tendency to throw things. We know that Cassidy Hutchinson heard a kerfuffle in a room where the president was. She walks in, he's gone, but there's a uh, plate and a lunch spread across the wall. I mean, that's pretty good evidence that he has a little anger issue. Adam Kinzinger said there'll be more information, so stay tuned. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, they're talking about two more hearings, but so much more evidence and so many more people are coming forward. It's probably going to need more than two more hearings, and it will probably go into August, if not September. Now, the committee has been intensifying its year-long investigation into the attack and Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Liz Cheney, the committee's vice chair, is making clear that criminal referrals to the Justice Department, including against Trump, could follow. Now, again, understand, she's on the J6 committee. She's in Congress. She can't decide whether or not somebody's indicted, but the J6 committee can refer them to the DOJ for a um, criminal indictment or potential criminal indictment. At least two more hearings are scheduled this month that aim to show how Trump illegally directed a violent mob toward the Capitol on January 6th and then failed to take quick action to stop the attack once it began. And, of course, Cassidy Hutchinson laid that all out, and that appears to be absolutely true. But now we're hearing that there are more people that are coming out of the woodwork to substantiate those claims, to corroborate those claims. Now, the committee also has been reviewing a new documentary film footage of Trump's final months in office, including interviews with Trump and members of the family, even during the day of the January 6th committee. You know, you remember how Watergate, the Watergate tapes were the things that broke it, Alexander Butterfield and all that stuff? I have a feeling this documentary might be a smoking gun. Because Donald Trump's saying certain things he did and didn't do, but this will be a film that shows exactly what he did leading up to the January 6th insurrection and during the insurrection. 
Now, Kinzinger, in a television interview, declined to disclose the new information. Of course, they're not going to tell us. He referred to and did not say who had provided it. He said many more details emerged after last week's testimony from former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson and that nothing had changed the committee's confidence on her credibility. I don't know why it would. Just because the Republicans are screaming this bullshit, that doesn't mean anything. We should be used to that by now. There's information I can't say yet, he said. We certainly would say that Cassidy Hutchinson has testified under oath. We find her credible, and anybody that wants to cast disparagements on that who were firsthand present should also testify under oath and not through anonymous sources. See, that that point should be well taken. Everything Cassidy Hutchinson said was under oath, and if she's lying, she can go to jail. All these other fucking clowns are coming through anonymous sources, and they're not under oath. So they can virtually say anything, and apparently that's what they're fucking doing, saying anything. Now, Kinzinger also said Sunday that more witnesses have come forward since Hutchinson gave her testimony. He said, this happens every day. Every day we get new people that come forward and say, hey, I didn't think maybe this piece of the story that I knew was important. Now they're seeing it and they're thinking, wow, that that could be important. This whole J6 committee in the hearings is going to get whipped up into an even bigger frenzy. Sitting members of Congress are going to be exposed. Donald Trump will have more evidence thrown in his face. If you look at the guy, he's obviously frantic and frazzled. You know, we talked about how he's thinking about announcing his run for the presidency in 2024, but he's talking about doing it now. See, Donald's a master of trying to distract, divert, and... uh, over-talk and gaslight. He knows he's in fucking deep-ass trouble right now. He knows he's in very deep trouble. So the only thing he can think to do is to say something uh, uh, crazy or something newsworthy to take the attention away from the things he doesn't want known, like about his behavior, like his criminality, his corruption, his attempt to overthrow this government. Yeah, we'd like to cover that up. So I'm going to run for the presidency. But this this causes a big, complete mess for the Republican Party. They don't want this. I mean, we as Democrats should welcome it. Because if Donald Trump announces he will run for the presidency, it will be all about Donald Trump. Now think about this, the 2020 election. Joe Biden won. Did Joe Biden win because he was such a great candidate? Or was it because Donald Trump was a fucking mess and people were scared to death that he would get in? See, Donald Trump was the um, referendum there. That 2020 election was a referendum on Donald Trump. He lost by 7 million votes. So the Republicans are thinking, we don't need him as a refer- the referendum point on this midterms because that'll fuck us over. And it will. What Donald Trump is doing is what he does best. He's divisive. He split up the country, and now he's splitting up the Republican Party. And that's why I say if you're a Democrat, you should welcome that. Donald, please announce that you're running for the presidency because that'll be just one more thing of many that fuck up the Republican Party. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, I don't know if he'll be talked out of announcing his run. Here's the interesting thing, though. His money is drying up quickly. He's not getting as much money as he used to. And that is his lifeblood. He needs the money. So if he announces that he's going to run for the presidency, he's presuming that that will get him more money. I don't think it will, but he'll presume that he's going to get more money. That's the only way he can think of right at this point. The only problem is, is if you've announced your run for the presidency, then there are rules and regulations as to what can be done with that money. You can't just shove it in your pocket like Donald Trump. Now, that said, Donald Trump has a tendency to not follow the rules and throw caution to the wind. 
So I'm not sure what he's thinking, but I know he's desperate and I know he's flailing. And these are the last vestiges of a narcissist. This is where a narcissist falls apart. When he can no longer bully, gaslight, lie, cheat, steal. When he is cornered, that's when things could get a little ugly. And I know a lot of people are thinking, well, if he gets indicted, there could be some violence. And there could be. But his audience is getting smaller every day. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. I'd be more worried about if Donald Trump is allowed to continue to do what he does. I think there could be some violence in this country, but it might more likely be from the Democratic side. I mean, people keep telling us these midterms are crucial to the future of our democracy. If people think our democracy is being taken away, they might get a little angry about that. And let's face it, there are some crazy fucks on the left side, too. So who knows what could happen? Okay, now here's an absolutely appalling story. It's not. It's one of those stories I prefer not to talk about because it's away from, well, it's political, but it's a bigger issue than that. You've probably seen this story on, uh, on TV. It's all over the place at this point. A 10-year-old girl just over six weeks pregnant, a 10-year-old girl pregnant, had to travel to Indiana to obtain an abortion after she was denied the procedure in her home state of Ohio, Jim Jordan's fucking place. So this 10-year-old girl was raped. Somebody will say, how do you know she was raped? Because she's fucking 10. That's why. She's raped. She becomes pregnant. God knows how at 10 years old. But now a 10-year-old has to deal with this. I have a grandson who's 10. How does a kid of that age get put in that position? So she's in her home state. She wants to get an abortion because that's the only way to really deal with this situation. I mean, what, she's supposed to raise the fucking kid at 10? Please. So anyway, she has to go to Indiana, which is surprising to me that Indiana is kind of... It's, it, it's a red state if you go down further south. I'm surprised they still can give abortions in Indiana, but maybe I'm off base there. The appalling situation for the child rape victim will likely be repeated countless times now that the U.S. Supreme Court last month eradicated the half-century-old right to an abortion by reversing Roe v. Wade. States are now allowed to ban the procedure. And we know as many as 26 states will be or already have banned the procedure. The girl was soon en route to Bernard's care. Uh, There were no other details about her situation, but she went to Indiana to have this done. Ohio prohibits an abortion when so-called fetal cardiac activity begins around six weeks. Several groups filed a lawsuit seeking to block the state law from taking effect on Wednesday, but an emergency stand, the abortion ban was rejected by the Ohio Supreme Court, which means the ban can be up with can be upheld while the case is being reviewed. Hopefully, those members of the Supreme Court will appreciate having that on their hands at this point. Future sexual assault victims like the 10-year-old will likely soon not have the option to travel to Indiana for abortions. They want to stop them completely from leaving the state. They want to force them to stay in their state and have the baby, even if they're fucking 10 years old. Indiana lawmakers are expected to further restrict or ban abortions. The Indiana General Assembly will convene in a special session July 25th when it will discuss the changes in the law. So, like I say, I'm surprised that uh, that the Supreme Court or that that Indiana hasn't already done this, but apparently they haven't gone through the legal processes yet. So, um, you can still go there. But, you know, when you think of this, this, this whole thing is just fucking amazing to me. I saw an interview, I think it was on CNN, Dana Bash was interviewing Christy Nome of South Dakota, the governor of South Dakota. And, and of course, South Dakota is banning abortions. So, um, so uh, the reporter is asking Christy Nome, 
Now, if this situation were to occur in your state, would you force that 10-year-old girl to have the baby? And of course, Christy Nome was babbling and talking in circles and not answering the question and try to avoid it and try to keep talking while Dana Bash was talking so she couldn't answer the question because she knows she can't look anything but bad. But it's the last answer she gave that troubled me the most when she was cornered and have to answer the question. This is what she said. She said, I would hate to see one tragedy being followed by another tragedy. Now, I understand what she's saying there. She's appalled by this 10-year-old girl getting raped and becoming pregnant, but she doesn't feel that abortion, because she feels that's yet another tragedy, is the way to fix it. So, Christy, what's your way to fucking fix it? Have a 10-year-old girl have a baby? And then presumably have her raise it? Oh, come on, that's fucking crazy. Or maybe have her parents raise it? Maybe parents don't have a lot of money. Then what do we do? Then we come back to the state, and you better provide money to fucking keep this kid um, uh, healthy and taken care of. Because you can't expect a 10-year-old kid to fucking take care of a baby. That's crazy. And Christy Noem of South Dakota, that's another place I'm not going to go. I love South Dakota. I love going to the Black Hills. I love going to uh, Sturgis and all these places that are in South Dakota. It's a beautiful place. But I can't bring myself to go to places like Texas or Florida or now even South Dakota or, for that matter, Ohio. But I never really had a need to go to Ohio. But It can't continue this way. I mean, it's it's draconian what these states are doing. Now, the marshal of the U.S. Supreme Court has asked Maryland and Virginia officials to enforce laws, she says, prohibit picketing outside the homes of the justices who live in the two states. Don't you just love that? The Supreme Court makes fucked up decisions. The people of this country get mad and they protest in front of their houses. Well, it's interesting that the Supreme Court would ask that they do make some law so we can stop this. We hate this. They're protesting in front of our houses. Well, isn't that part of our first fucking amendment to be able to protest, peacefully protest? Now, none of these have become violent. It's peaceful protesting. You see, these Supreme Courts want to do whatever the fuck they want to do and pay no consequences, like Clarence Thomas. Sorry, dude, there's going to be consequences. And if people decide they want to protest in front of your house, well, maybe you should think twice about the fucking decisions you make. For weeks on end, large groups of protesters chanting slogans using bullhorns and banging drums have picketed justices' homes, Marshal Gail Curley wrote. Um, and that was a letter to Governor Larry Hogan, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, and two local elected officials. So, so you see, these Supreme Court justices, they don't live in D.C., they live in... Uh, um, Virginia and Maryland, probably other places, and they're appealing to get the governors to stop the protesting in front of their homes. You might want to read the Constitution. The Constitution reserved our right to protest peacefully. It doesn't say where we can protest or when we can protest. It says we can protest. And for the Supreme Court or anybody else to suggest we can't do that, that's yet another uh, constitutional right they want to take away. And as I've said that before, you let them take away abortion, they're going to be starting to do other things. They want to game this system for themselves, and they think they can get away with it. Fucking sorry. Um you're not going to get away with it. Now, earlier this week, for example, 75 protesters loudly picketed at one justice's home in Montgomery County for 20 to 30 minutes in the evening, then proceeded to pick picket at another justice's home for 30 minutes, where the crowd grew to about 100 and finally returned to the first justice's home to picket for another 20 minutes. Curley wrote this in her letter to, uh, to Montgomery County Executive Mark 
Elrich. This is exactly the kind of conduct that the Maryland and, and Montgomery County laws prohibit. I don't think so. I don't think that's prohibited. I think that is is uh, one of our constitutional rights. First, you want to take abortion, and then you want to take away the right to express displeasure with your decisions. See, that's what they want to do. They, they want to be able to do whatever the fuck they want to do with complete impunity. They don't want to be accountable for shit. I'm special. I'm on the Supreme Court. Well, sadly, the Supreme Court is no longer special, and uh, the majority of the people on the Supreme Court are either conspiracy theorists or uh, people that assault women, uh, people that lie, or insurrectionists themselves. So, sorry, you're not special anymore. You do these things, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be accountability. Again, I'll use the term I've used many times, fuck around and find out. And they're finding out. And they're finding out very quickly. All right, Senator Mike Lee, a Republican from Utah, claimed on Sunday that Democrats who disagree with the Supreme Court must hate democracy, despite the fact that he lobbied to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Now, during an interview on Fox News, Lee lashed out at Representative AOC after she said that a Supreme Court ruling against the Environmental Protection Agency was catastrophic for the sake of the planet. Now, Lee said, this begs the question, why do they hate democracy? Why do they hate allowing people to elect their own representatives to make laws? That's really what we're dealing with. (laughs) What is so offensive to them about the idea of having laws enacted by lawmakers who are elected by the people? It is as though they hate the Democratic Party process themselves. That's a good point, Mike. That's a good point. So based on what you just said, please explain why you tried to help facilitate an overturning of an election of legally elected people and trying to overthrow our government. You see, you can talk shit like this, but it doesn't make any sense. What you're really saying is we don't like we don't like affecting the election process. Well, unless it helps us. Mike Lee is one of those guys who's going to fucking go down for this. I guarantee you he was in the mix with this whole uh, um, with this whole insurrection thing. There's going to be a lot of members of Congress that get exposed. And since he was texting and emailing with Mark Meadows and some of these other fucking clowns, he's going to be exposed too. He has a lot of balls suggesting what he suggested to AOC when he's guilty of the very thing he's fucking complaining about. It's amazing to me. I'm going to look forward to the time when these people are exposed and possibly expelled from Congress because they should. These people are are, are a threat to our form of government, our democracy, and future elections. We cannot have that. They need to be gone. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast for yet another day. It's July 4th. Go out, have fun, enjoy life, uh, interact with friends and family and neighbors and whatever, but take a day to relax and enjoy life because tomorrow (laughs) we're back to the fucking grind. All right, you have a great day. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.